Hello and welcome to Kid You Not, the podcast on children's literature. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy them. I'm Clementine Beauvais. And I'm Lauren Davis. We hope you enjoyed our episode on how death is presented in children's literature last month, because this one is just as dark. This week we are looking at... Dark romance and why people read it. As usual, let's start with a reading. How many typical themes can we pull out from this passage? And no, this passage is not from Twilight. Just then, the boy next to Benjamin turned around and looked straight at April. A lazy grin spread slowly across his face and he nodded at her. April almost gasped out loud. It was the dark-haired boy she'd seen in the square the night before. She could feel her heart start beating faster. Uh-oh, said Caro, taking April by the arm and turning her around. Come away. What do you mean? Gabriel Swift. You're wasting your time with him, said Caro. He's one of those unattainable, too-good-for-us-regular-humans types. I think he must be dating older girls, because I've never seen him with anyone here. April glanced back and was disappointed to see that the boy was no longer looking at her. Right, and this was an extract from the beginning of By Midnight by Mia James. Basically what we're going to do in this episode is not spend our time criticising all these dark romance books, um, but we're going to look at why people read them. Um, we've interviewed a number of different people from different backgrounds, and we've also had a look at websites, Amazon reviews, fan blogs and forums, and we want to analyse the reasons why people read these books. And we also come at it from two very different perspectives. Clementine doesn't particularly like them, whereas I read them with a ferocity that is very strange considering the fact that I am aware they are not the best quality of literature. <laughs> I think, Lauren, it's time to confess your love for Twilight. Yes, I do have a secret burning love for Twilight. How many times have you read them now? I don't know. I don't, don't want to guess. Okay. At least seven, which is a little bit pathetic. Although New Moon has definitely not been read that many times because that's the boring one where yeah, Edward disappears. Of course. So let's start with our case study of the day, <laughs> Lauren Davis. Why does Lauren Davis read paranormal romance? Oh, Lauren Davis reads paranormal romance because as, you know, like food, you need lots of healthy food, but you also want some junk. We made this analogy yeah. in the You're basically reciting our healthy diet episode. Yeah, but it's true. I love it, okay? It's like eating a bag of pick and mix from the cinema. I know it's no good for me, but I just want the sugar. <laughs> okay, I think it's quite interesting because... You have just shown that you're, you feel guilty reading them, but it's one of these guilty pleasure things, isn't it? Yeah, and it's kind of embarrassing reading them on the tube. You get a lot of judgmental looks if you're travelling at rush hour on the tube with one of these books. Exactly. So like, why, do we get, why, why do you get a lot of, um, of judgmental looks? Is because to most people, you know, these are teenage novels for the kind of romantic, well, maybe misfits among the teenage yeah. girls. What's quite interesting about paranormal romance is that actually not everyone who reads it is really like that. Like, for example, you're definitely not like that. I know, and I know that the quality of writing, or even the plots, don't, they don't even differ wildly 
But there's something about the plot-based wish-fulfillment nature of them that is quite addictive. Okay, so you've said something important there, which is that they don't differ that much from each other. Can that be identified as one of the most comforting feature of it? The fact that you know what you're getting. And I guess that's like that's there from the romance genre, because basically paranormal romance is just romance with beings that are not completely humans and different creatures. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting at how alike these books are. When we spoke to several people about what they expected from a paranormal romance novel, actually, the, the descriptions are quite specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, for example, what your little cousin says. How old is she? 13. She loves me because I send her all the dark romance books that I've finished. And so that's what she says. She says, From a dark romance novel, I would expect a love story, but with a twist. A story that appeals to girls, but is a bit more scary than just a normal love story. They appeal to me because I like supernatural stories, because as well as it being two people in love, it also involves excitement and a little bit of danger. That is very interesting, because a recurring theme in the books is that no matter how much danger the girl is in you know that she will ultimately be protected by the immortal or supernatural boy she has chosen to be with i think we can start with this with this element which i think is central to all of this paranormal romance books and which is actually an ingredient of traditional romance stories which is forbidden love essentially this is how paranormal romance starts and I would say this is why readers this is what readers are expecting when they start reading it I love across the species (laughs) definitely yeah I think so from a, a critical point of view there People have always read romance with forbidden love in it. But the thing is now, when nowadays, you, you can't really have stories which are set, you know, now, well, with parents not agreeing with their children's choices or with two lovers being separated, unless you set it in a, in a, in a country that has war, for example, unless you, you create some kind of modern Romeo and Juliet using, I don't know, different political configurations, etc. Whereas with a paranormal romance, you completely displace the forbidden aspect of it, not on two different clans, the Montague and the Capulet, but on different species, and their love is forbidden because it is biologically horrendous or monstrous, or it is um, it is forbidden for the creature to be in love with a human or something like that. Yeah, it is fascinating that that forms the basis of all of them. So perhaps the bad dark romance novel that deviates the most from these sorts of things, L.A. Weatherly's Angel... Even in that, the romance is forbidden because the boy is an angel killer and it turns out that the girl is half angel. So even there, it's forbidden because he's meant to kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, Twilight, obviously, Edward wants to eat Bella. So (laughs) that's pretty forbidden. In By Midnight, again, it's across species... But th- so there's there's definitely roots in romance with a twist, which is a supernatural twist. But this twist um, also comes from, you know, you could say from mythology. Um, it's actually quite an ancient way of, of looking at forbidden love uh, when you think of 
Greek mythology, the number of times when Zeus impregnates different types of human females. And I think this is something that readers of Paranormal Romance are very aware of. This is uh, from a fan blog or Angel by L.A. Weatherly that you were talking about. She says, I absolutely love the twist on angel mythology, which made it unlike any other book I've read. I think what we get in this quote is the idea that actually paranormal romance readers are actually quite demanding with what they read. They're not going to take indiscriminately anything that, you know, that just reiterates patterns of mythological creatures and patterns of romance. It has to come with a twist. And that's exactly the same word as the one that you're little cousin used. It has to be some kind of alchemy between romance and mythology, but in a different way, with a twist. Very often either by setting it in a, in a modern school, in a modern town, with, you know, dysfunctional families or attributes like that that are, that are going to completely offset the whole mytholo- mythological and romantic element. Building on that, the By Midnight book that we quoted from at the beginning... Reviews of that on Amazon refer to uh, hating standard dark romance tropes. For example, I hate reading about the girl who goes all gooey for the hottie who is a bad boy vamp. I was so glad to read a book that is more reality-based and puts vampires hiding in plain sight among the general populace who remain ignorant of the fact. Obviously, this does sound quite a lot like Twilight. Yeah, the reader is focused on what they want. They're quite demanding in that they've established certain tropes that are generally repeated in the literature. Yeah, it really is a question of variation on a theme, isn't it? And especially now, these days, as we get so many of these paranormal romance novels, I think readers are becoming extremely aware of what they want and what they want is something that follows the same sort of main lines as we said forbidden love with a supernatural element etc but that also derives from it enough to to make the reading experience different interesting and because there are so many of these novels being published i think it's evolving very 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 rapidly for the young readers well let's say they probably are refining their taste in these books quite rapidly like, is it is it fair to say that they're a bit like the teenage Mills and Boons? Yeah, it probably is, isn't it? But updated for today's teens. Yep. Mm-hmm. In that it's uh, the loves are all supposed to be very angsty and significant, and they just. Re- I, my theory is they replicate the intensity of first love or of teenage infatuation, mm. but it validates these feelings and makes them something. Special. More than hormone-driven, usually some sort of worldwide significant event that has yeah. the power to change lives for every well, change the lives of everyone on Earth. But it validates these feelings, helps explore them, and prioritizes them in a way that a lot of other teenage books actually don't. Mm, absolutely, it's basically taking this, as you say, hormonal fact and giving it an almost spiritual dimension or numinous, at least something incredibly well supernatural, as if it was confirming to the the insecure teenager that their feelings, you know, are something so real and so tremendously important that they have to live them fully, that they have to take them into account, that 
you know, they are allowed to make it into a very, very important feature of their lives, which really concords with the completely narcissistic outlook on life that adult writers think teenagers have, and which one could argue teenagers do have in a lot of situations. Definitely. And the they physical symptoms of their love are really interesting. I don't think that there is another genre where the protagonist's blushes or breathing patterns or racing hearts are dwelled on quite as much as this. But again, the physical response is reiterate the unstoppable nature of this love because it's so all-consuming that it's not just in your head, it affects your whole body. Mm. And I really do think this is something that teenage girls can really relate to. Yeah. I don't know about you, Clementine, but there were books I could, there were boys I couldn't eat for a week because <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about them. And obviously I'm not I love like how that. Lauren says, I don't know about you, as if I was some kind of cold-hearted... I'm cold-hearted. I, mean, I was just a little bit of a typical teenager in that way yeah and it basically takes these feelings that seem completely uncontrollable for the the teenager and it's telling the teenager well they are uncontrollable uncontrollable because you have you are special because you're special and you've you've inherited them from some completely supernatural event which is probably both comforting and and in a way allows the the teenager to live fully this sort of um excessive feeling very uh, powerfully. It just happens. And love is presented often as something that happens to you rather than as a choice. Yeah, and the girls have no experience of it, and yet it's as if they were predetermined to love this specific guy. And I think we have an interesting quote here for uh, By Midnight. So it's a By Midnight fan saying about Gabriel, Gabriel being the, the I guess, the supernatural of interest but this is what this this fan says the fan says plus gabriel swoonalicious oh gabriel what can i say about you other than i totally blame buffy and angel for my love of brooding vampires with a conscious i think they mean conscience here it's really interesting because what this young fan is 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 saying is that you know she is in love i guess vicariously with the hero gabriel but then she says that she blames buffy buffy the vampire was uh, buffy the vampire slayer was um was a series about um a young woman killing vampires in the 1990s ish no to year 2000 and here what this girl seems to be saying is that in a way even when this spate of paranormal romances arrived on the market, she had been preconditioned to fall in love <laughs> with the vampire, with Buffy, and probably, you know, before Buffy, there was also an interview with the vampire with, by, um, by Anne Rice and its film adaptation, uh, and before that, Dracula. I mean, it's, it seems to come from a very, very long tradition of, you know, females falling for the um, handsome vampire. Um, so like the young heroine in the book, the reader is preconditioned to fall in love with this supernatural man. Yeah, some of them make an attempt to explain that because a lot of the times in these books vampire mythologies the, uh, the handsomeness of the gentleman is part of how they appeal to their prey which again is a very uncomfortable fact when you Mm -hmm. put that alongside the lack of choice that they have picking up on the fact that these novels allow the readers to directly identify with 
the protagonist. Um, a really obvious feature of all the books as well is the nature of the female protagonist yes. and how mm. a lot of her attributes play on the insecurities of teenage girls. Absolutely. So a very common trope, in fact, I don't think I've read one where this hasn't occurred, is the heroine, she's never popular. She's never someone that is surrounded by close, real friends. She's always a bit of an outcast. She feels like she doesn't fit in. Coincidentally, the supernatural lover is the only person that ever understood her. And that is called a Mary Sue character. A Mary Sue character is a a female character who is basically empty of... Um, very strong character traits. She is generally quite weak, quite clumsy. She is pretty but doesn't see it herself, which is a very important aspect, I think, because to a teenage, to an insecure teenage girl, it's very good to read about someone who doesn't know she's pretty, but everyone actually finds her pretty. And these characters are basically empty shells. Maybe it's a bit harsh to say it like that, but empty shells that allow the reader to comfortably fit inside here is one um, comment by a fan of Twilight on a blog. Holy mother of God, these books are fantastic in capital letters. I finished New Moon last night and gosh, I am so excited about these books. Everything that happens in the story is as though it was written especially for me because I love how everything plays out and what each character says. This story is just perfect. I think it's quite interesting that she says everything is as though it was written especially for me because this is exactly what a Mary Sue character, a type of narrator, is going to elicit in the reader, isn't it? And I think these um, these readers tend to adapt their reading to what they really want to read in, in a book. This is also from a forum, from a Twilight forum, and someone asks a question. She says, I've read all of the books and I'm starting to reread them and it's really hard for me to get through Twilight because I hate it when they're on together and everything. Am I the only one with this problem? And someone replies saying, I'm guilty of flicking through pages to see when they're together, but they are together a lot, so it's not that hard. Here you get really the sort of like cherry picking dimension to which some readers will flick through the books and actually didn't you do that Lauren? Yes I did but not as extreme as that I just hate the bit in New Moon where Edward is gone the book is about is about their love so it's it's just ridiculous to me especially when it's obvious she's never actually torn between Jacob and Edward she wants to be Jacob's friend but she knows that she's never going to leave Edward so that whole bit where he's gone I just thought oh it really I can't I read it for the romance I read it for their relationship I don't want to read about her without him it's not interesting it's not interesting it's very interesting that you say that because you know at the end of Jenna when Jenna goes to um, St. John I River. I hate that, yeah. That's awful. It's only interesting. Okay, so you see, this is... register. Exactly. So I think this is also a part that lots of people tend to skip. And when I reread Jenna for the second and third time, I just skipped the whole passage when she's at St. John's house. I don't blame because, you. Because it's, because it's not interesting. And... But this is a sign, I think, of reading that's not, you know, sophisticated because, because if this part is there in, in Jenna, it's because... Because there is a transformative element to it. I think it might be the same mechanism by which, as a reader of romance, you are very clear about what you want to get from these books. And what you want is the romance, and what's not romance, you're going to skip it. 
Which is sort of a natural but, reading reaction, isn't well, it? Well, definitely. So many people we spoke to, and the quotes that we've read refer to... You read them for a reason. You know why you're reading them. You know what you want from them. And as a side point, one of the things that I think makes it boring when it's not about their relationship is the Mary Sue nature of the character. Mm. The character is not fully fleshed out enough to provide any interest when they, they aren't when she's not going out with the boy because the love is the character rather than the yeah, girl. Really. Very good point, yeah. So I did think when, when I was researching this that many of these fans, many of the people who write on the, on the forums, maybe many of the people who you know call themselves Twilighters or Fulinisters or things like that, mm. um, they really are very articulate. They explain very well why, why they like a book over another. We have some very, very good examples of extremely interesting questions that are being asked. For example, this is from a, a forum on Fulin. Fallen was a great book. I bought it to use as a book report and fell in love with it. One thing I do not understand is the protagonist vs antagonist characters in Fallen. Is Luce the protagonist or Daniel? If it is Luce, who is the protagonist? If it is Daniel, is it true that Cam is the antagonist? Is it not also true that the protagonist is the main character, but it isn't the hero? I think that's very interesting. This questioning about, you know, who is the protagonist in this book, who is the antagonist, these are complex terms, and you can feel here that someone is really trying to make sense of her reading, trying to understand how the complex relationships which, between the characters and the reader are established in the book. So do you think that she's having trouble with identifying who is the protagonist and who is the antagonist because the central character is so passive? Well, I think she might have trouble identifying it because... Perhaps, which is which would mean that the the book is more ambiguous than we think, because it's not actually that easy to identify who the good character is. And it seems that quite a lot of people actually have sophisticated reading, and some really express their um, their opinion in in terms that are really really close to narrative analysis. We get someone for for Angel uh, by L. A. Weatherly saying. Angel is written in the combination of first person from Willow's point of view and third person from Alex's point of view. I found this a really interesting way to tell the story and although it threw me a little at first, once I got used to it, I really liked the change in tone. It made it easier to keep track of whose point of view we were following and I think it added something to the story. So here again we get someone who is a fan of the book who has very correctly identified the change in narration which might seem obvious but actually it's not that much because you know once you're in the book you might not even notice these changes you might not think that they're important for the book but she's noticed them she she thinks that it adds something to the story. Yeah and there's a reader of Fallen that criticizes the narrative in that because she says, overall I liked it, but it came across as a first-person book, probably with so many thoughts strewn about that I had to be constantly reminded that it was in fact third-person. So either the narration was off and should have been dealt with, or she should have just made it first-person. Yeah. So these readers are very discerning and are aware of, the, of how a novel is constructed and what makes a good read and what makes things more difficult or less effective. So I really think it would be a mistake to dismiss paranormal romance readers as completely unsophisticated, as not having you know, a developed taste, etc. They are, perhaps like you were, entranced by these books, but it doesn't mean that they're not critical about them. 
Um, yeah, and we have this other review of Angel where someone says, I really like the fact that Alex wasn't the typical bad boy character we have seen in a lot of YA books recently. Yes, he was mysterious, particularly at the beginning of the book, but we actually get to find out quite a lot about his past, which made a nice change. Neither Willow or Alex have led particularly easy childhoods, albeit that their circumstances were entirely different. In fairness, I think that Angel is slightly different to the others in that I think the characters are far more yeah, fleshed out than most other things you read. I don't think Willow is a Mary Sue protagonist. I don't think she's a reader by proxy in the, to anywhere near the same extent as most of the others. Yeah, maybe. She has a more definite character trait, as this reader recognises. She... the um, writer Weatherly has made it clear how her upbringing has affected her she has a coherent past in a way that most characters don't actually seem to they have some vague notion that they used to live somewhere hot or up north and you never really find anything about that or how it affected them yeah, and I think it's a tribute to L.A. Weatherly that this person is, is saying this because, you know, what she's really saying is that the author there made an effort to give some... to make to make characters that are not as simple as the others and, and the, the readers are really taking this into account. An interesting thing that happened very... that happened quite recently with Twilight and the idea that readers are not completely uncritical, even the, the most hardcore Twilight fans, was that when Stephanie Mayer's last book, Breaking Dawn, was published, there was a lot of criticism levelled at her from her most hardcore fans um, who wrote an open letter to Stephanie Mayer, which you can find online. We'll provide a, a link on the blog. In which they say, you have betrayed you yourself, you have betrayed your own canon, you have betrayed us as readers by creating um, you know, a whole shift twist in the plot by making Bella fall pregnant. And this open letter was sent to Stephanie Mayer via her blog. And here we have a very interesting case of fans rebelling against the author for not writing the right kind of paranormal romance. The fans are actually very empowered mm. and feel they have the right to almost intrude on the writing process and the creative process because a book wasn't how they expected. Although in fairness, in the case of Breaking Dawn, I think it wasn't just that it didn't turn out the way they wanted. I think they had some severe problems with the ideology. But see, that shows that you can't just wrap up your ideology in Percy romance and babies and, and, and you know, um, handsome vampires and give it to your readers. These are readers who are able to perceive the flaws in this ideology. Oh, definitely. She suddenly got a lot of standpoints and opinions and very controversial opinions that they no longer agree with. So when my cousin and my colleague and a fellow editor said to me that their fav- you know, one of their favourite things about dark romance novels is the element of danger, especially when my 13-year-old cousin said it, I think these books are dangerous in an odd way. If you don't read them critically and discerningly, you can be asked to absorb viewpoints that can actually be damaging 
to your development as a teenager. It worries me that these relationships are held up as some sort of ideal. I love these books, but that's because they are complete fantasy. What goes on in them I wouldn't want to experience in real life. But there is a whole spate of... that It has been frequently reported in America that when Twilight was huge, so let's say 2008, 2009, teenage girls were dumping their current boyfriends because they weren't enough like Edward. And you could argue that it sets up an ideal in inverted commas that real teenage boys are just never going to live up to mm-hmm. they yeah. also set up an expectation of a way of being treated that is completely not just unrealistic but damaging undesirable absolutely it, it is presented as good that to be overprotected to be overprotected to how to be with someone who is controlling to cut off all your other friends i I really can't get over the fact how few of these protagonists seem to have close female friends. Mm. So why do people like this aspect of it? I wonder if it's in reaction to a whole society which is bombarding us all the time with over-sexualized images, notably of women, because really paranormal romance is incredibly chaste. Oh, incredibly chaste. There's no sex until after marriage, of course. Of course, yeah. They are commitment porn. They are commitment porn. And... (laughs) I think um, when you say, you know, that girls have unrealistic expectations, that they want to be overprotected, that there's this whole chastity rule in, in this sort of um, of books, this is also a reaction, perhaps, to a, a society of pornography, really. If they feel that they are constantly being judged, that their body image is extremely important, if they feel that, that you know, that they might be treated as sort of sexualized objects by these boys it might be a sort of desire for the for the paranormal romance reader to retreat into a world where they are in danger to a certain degree sexuality is absolutely omnipresent but it's but it is incorporated within within the supernatural elements of the books uh, so for example instead of having sex they're going to talk about being bitten by a vampire etc so sexuality is definitely there but it is not in this kind of um overt pornographic aggressive way that they might find find in their in in current society a blogger that you and I both particularly like on Twilight, Cleo Linda. Cleo Linda Jones. Postulates that one of the reasons that these books are so popular with teenage girls is the fact that they are chaste, and she says she thinks it's the same reason that young teenage girls like very non-threatening asexual men. For example, when we were young, Hanson were very big. Oh, that was a long time ago, <laughs> Hanson, wasn't it? Hanson, Boyzone, Westlife, you couldn't get men that are less threatening yeah. than that. You know that, and in the same way, all these boys, they aren't going to ask to have sex with you. They're, they're there if you want it but they are never going to force you to do anything you don't want to. And adolescence is such a confusing time for sex. There's so much peer pressure. Are you ready? Aren't you ready? If you do sleep with someone, are you suddenly going to be known as a school slut? If you don't sleep with someone, they're going to call you frigid. It's nice for you as a teenage reader to be excused not to have sex because this is all within the supernatural fabric of the book or you can explore it in an or you can explore your own sexuality in a very non-threatening environment Mm. which as you were saying is not the case in popular culture Mm. so it's very interesting that people say they read these books because they want romance with a bit of danger whereas i actually think they are the safest things you could read 
They are very safe because the danger of the sex, of the sexuality, is displaced onto other elements which are incorporated within the supernatural. And speaking of the safety of dark romance novels, that seems like quite a reassuring place to end, doesn't it, Kate? Yeah. Um, We hope you'll join us next time to hear our podcast on religion and how that's presented in children's books. And once again, thank you so much for downloading our podcast. Uh, Please leave comments on our blog, kidyounotpodcast.com, or email us at www.kidyounotpodcast at gmail.com. And I'd like to add one thing. Please don't judge me too much for loving dark romance.